Good morning. So, so good to see so many of you. Get my podium here. Hey, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and um, it's a joy to uh, welcome all of you here this morning to be able to worship together. Um, as uh, you can tell, uh, we're going to need a bigger boat. Um, we've been saying that for quite some time, and uh, we are just trusting and praying and asking the Lord for provision and all that we need to make uh, room for all of you. As I was standing there at the back, though, uh, I was reminded uh, of the story um, in our New Testament where uh, the disciples brought um, the lame man to hear from Jesus and to be healed by Jesus and to meet with Jesus. And there was no room, there was no ability to get in. And so they lowered him uh, through the roof down to Jesus. And um, in that, Jesus uh, honored the faith of those friends that um, would, would press in and, and, and take that hard step, that leap of faith to um, get in front of him. And so I want to just say thank you. I um, like Jesus, echo the words of Christ that thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Um, if you're uh, in the cafe um, listening uh, from there this morning, thank you so much for your patience with us. If you're sitting in the back um, or not sitting in the back and standing in the back, thank you uh, for your um, just uh, endurance with us um, this morning. Um, as we're going to hear in just a moment, uh, there's nothing more exciting than being in a place where we see God at work and moving, um, and uh, we clearly see him at work in this place, and I trust that for some reason or another, you also have either experienced that or heard about that or have seen that in your own life, and that's why you're here, and so um, we're going to trust that the Lord is going to use our time together um, to minister to you and to encourage you, um, and so I just want to say again, thank you for being with us. You know, as we begin this new year, um, I shared uh, in another setting, I talked about this even a little bit last week. I don't have a word for the year. I know some of you have a word for your year, and it's kind of a word that is maybe a guide or an anchor post for your life, and um, you're, you're, that's awesome that you have that. I don't have a, a word for the year, but um, what I do have is a psalm. Um, you know, I am a guy that likes words, and so I just have to have, I guess, a lot of words. Uh, and so I have Psalm 16, um, which is, in a sense, my prayer and my hope. It's for my own life, personally, that this psalm would be true of my life and would be a guide for my life, but it is also uh, my prayer and my hope for us as a church family, that this would be uh, our hearts, that our hearts would be reflective of what we see um, declared in Psalm 16. The mission and statement of our church, you had heard Pastor Kyle reference it uh, briefly as he welcomed you just a few moments ago, but it, we say that City Church is a community of people growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. What we're saying in that statement is that we um, are desirous that we as a people of God would be growing continually in submission to his rule over our lives, his authority. Uh, authority over our lives, and it's because we think less of ourselves and more of him that we desire that he receive glory here in this place, in our own lives, in the city that we live in, and around the world. That's why we are here. That's what we are doing. But as we have said that statement, and we've repeated that statement over and over again, perhaps some of you, if you have heard that, or maybe you're hearing that for the very first time, you are asking yourself, why would I submit to the Lord? Why would that be the desire of our hearts? Why should we submit to the Lord? 
Some of you know the answer to that. You have been around in Sunday school long enough. That's the church. It's because we should. Because Jesus says so, right? Because that's what we are supposed to do. Let me just share with you. My heart for myself and for all of us is that I don't want us to grow in submission to the Lordship of Christ because it's the thing that we should do. I want that for us because it's a desire, it's an overflow of our hearts. I want you to just think about the things that you should do. You should, and sometimes I should, take out the trash. I don't really enjoy doing that, honestly. We have a whole system of opening the gate to make sure the dogs don't get out, and it's just this whole rigmarole. It's kind of painful and frustrating. I don't like doing that. I'm supposed to dig the spoons out of the disposal before I turn that on. That is really gross. There's some grime down there, honestly, that I don't like dealing with that. I'm supposed to get out of bed. I don't always like getting out of bed. I'm just going to confess that to you. I really enjoy sleeping and being in bed. I'm supposed to do burpees. I know it doesn't always look like I do those, but I, I trust me, I do. But it's because I should, right? Imagine, though, if I told my wife that I love her because I should. Or even worse, imagine if she told me that. I love you because I should. Now, that's a true statement. We should because we made a covenant before God to do that. But that's not what my hope is for our lives. Or how about my kids? My kids listen to me or respect me or demonstrate their love for me because they should, simply because I'm their dad. Now, that's not the heart that I want. I don't want to have that heart towards the Lord, and I don't want that heart in all the relationships that I have. We don't submit to the Lord and his lordship over our lives merely because we should. Let's contrast this to some things that we do submit our lives to. I want you to consider, just, here's just a list of things that came to my mind, of things that we submit our lives to, meaning that they hold an authority over us. What the world says about us. What does it think of you? How about what friends or neighbors think of you? Which parties do you get invited to or not get invited to? Your bosses or your employers, what they say of you, your performance rate. Those are all things that you sort of submit your life to and they have authority over you. How much is in your bank accounts? That's a driving force for your life. How much money you have. The teams that our kids are on or the teams that our kids are not on. The schedule that we're given by those said teams. All those things, they rest as an authority over us, and we submit our lives to those. For students in the room, what your teachers or your coaches say about you so often is what you submit your life to. That's what you believe about yourself or your grades or your performance. Parents, what our children do, their grades and their performance, how often is that a driving force of how we feel about ourselves? And in a sense, we submit our lives to those things. We all know when we see them on that list that those are terrible gods, small g. And yet, much of our life revolves around those things, or there's probably things that I didn't put on there that are for you, that drive you, that guide your life. We don't declare as a church family, as believers in Christ, that we're growing in submission to those things, but so often it seems that they are, or that we are. We say that we're a community of people growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus. But what would cause that desire, that mission statement, to really be true of our hearts and souls? 
Well, we can begin, a starting point for this is to ask yourself, what would it look like if you were to grow in looking like Jesus? What would that look like in your life? Not just, I want to keep doing all these things and submitting my life to these things and then just try to add God into the equation. But no, take those things off the throne of your life and that Jesus would be solely there. So we grow in submission to Christ when we start killing those idols, fleeing from sin, pursuing godliness, seeking the Lord. Last week, I preached on the story of the three wise men coming to visit Jesus to worship him alone. And we contrasted their worship of Jesus with Herod's worship of his idols, which was his own power. And look what he did. He was willing to kill all of the children of an entire community because that threatened his idol. It threatened his idol of power. See, we desire Christ. We'll understand Christ when we understand who he is and what he has done for us. The way to grow in submission to Christ is, yes, to do the good work of killing sin and putting down those idols and saying no to those things, but the means of doing that is that Christ would be elevated in our lives. Parents, let me just encourage you. I've said this many times to young parents before. The best way to disciple your children and to encourage your children is not to enforce and try to structure their lives so that they have to say no to these things. This is bad, this is bad, don't do that, don't do that. But if we would all elevate Christ in our lives where Christ is supreme for our life and for our hearts and they see that, it's a testimony of our lives. As Jesus grows bigger in our lives, those lesser things become just that, lesser things. Well, if you are here this morning, though, and you aren't sure of where to begin in considering why Jesus is worthy of our lives. Let me begin with where Paul describes his goodness in Romans chapter 5. If nothing else, Christ's love for us, in spite of ourselves, is a great starting point to remind us of why Jesus is worthy of our lives and why we would submit our lives to him. He says in verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Paul says, it sometimes would make sense for someone to die for someone who is essentially worthy of that, if they're good, if they are righteous. But God, verse 8 but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's the unconditional love of God that he has for you. If you want to debate or if you're curious about why we can say that God is good, it begins with that reality that we understand that while I was still a sinner, while God had no reason to love me and had every reason to condemn me, he sent his son to die for me. That's how much he loved us. Well, Psalm 16 is the testimony of the psalmist telling us of God's goodness in his life. And this is why, as I said, this psalm is my prayer. My hope is that this psalm would become for all of us the declaration of our hearts. And if so, I believe and I trust I have confidence that we would grow in submission to Christ because the heart that can say these words is a heart that desires Jesus above all else. So if it's possible for you to stand, I'd invite you to stand as I read 
God's holy word, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord Jesus, we pray in this moment that you would make these words true of our hearts and therefore our lives. And that as we believe with hope and with confidence and with trust, that you would grow bigger in our lives and the things of this world would go strangely dim. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. As I read that text, I don't know if you might have picked up on this, but the psalmist begins, there's really an overarching theme of this psalm, and that is that it is constantly, it is is always looking forward. See, the psalmist trust the Lord and is confident in the Lord and that begins with his forward-looking life. He is not looking back. He's not thinking always of the past, but he's looking forward, which reminds me of one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Some of you, if you've received an email from me, you see in my signature line, pressing on. And that comes from Philippians 3, verse 14, where Paul says that he forgets all of the things that are in his past. He doesn't believe that he's been perfected yet. He is waiting on the finished work of Christ to be completed in his life, but he presses on, pressing on. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is looking forward with his life. And the psalmist in verse chapter 16 is looking forward. His mind is cast on the goodness of God. His mind is focused on the sure inheritance that is his. If you look at those words, by the way, this two verses, verses five and six, if you weren't with us last week, I encourage everyone, let's memorize these verses. Let's try and memorize the whole chapter if we can, but memorize verse five and six. Kids in the room, I told you, if you'd memorize verse five and six and tell me or just Jessica or any of our staff, we'll give you a special treat. She's got a prize box for you. I want us to memorize this because it says, the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The forward-looking psalmist is looking at his future. And that word that is used for inheritance, that is a term that is, in a sense, a geographical term. It's, it's a boundaries. It calls to mind, the original hearers of this would have called to mind the promise that was made to Abraham to give him a nation and to make him the father of many nations. 
If you were with us way back when, when we studied the book of Joshua, you might remember chapter 14, and we talked about all of these territories, and even in that week, I remember thinking, this is going to sound a little boring. We're talking about a geographical study of Israel. But look at verse 1 of chapter 14. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan. The promised land that was promised by God to give his people, Joshua was taking his people into that, and that was described as an inheritance. The New Testament also speaks of this. Paul, speaking about the mystery of the gospel, when he writes his letter to the Ephesians, he says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The psalmist is constantly looking forward His mind is anchored. As we sang that word, my heart is anchored to the truth of God. It's anchored to this future inheritance that God has promised us. God promised it to Abraham, and he fulfilled it. And that promised land is a picture, is a pointer, is a type of the promise that we have that Paul describes here. In him also, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed it, and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantor of your inheritance. We, as Christians, brothers and sisters, we have an inheritance that is coming to us through Christ. And the psalmist was completely submitted to God and his life yielded to the Lord because he had that perspective looking forward. You know, so often, and I understand we have grief, we have hurts, we have pain, we have things in our past We have things that cause us to potentially doubt whether God could love us or would love us. We have things that we're not sure that we can ever get over. And let me just encourage you, yes, we need to deal with those things and process through those things. We don't need to diminish them. But one of the means for doing that is to look forward to the sure promises of God, the hope that we have, the inheritance that is ours through Christ. The psalmist could look forward and be assured of that because he also believed fully in the Lord's goodness. The psalmist believed fully in the Lord's goodness. As we survey this text, we see over and over and over again him declaring the good of the Lord. He says in the very first or second verse, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. As we survey this, at the beginning of chapter, or verse 5, he's talking about the Lord is my chosen portion and cup, the food and the drink that he endures. At the end of verse 5, talking about his lot, the land that he has. In the beginning of verse 6, he talks about the pleasant places. At the end of verse 6, the delightful inheritance that he has. At the beginning of verse 9, he talks about his body is secure, his flesh is secure. It dwells secure in the presence of the Lord. In verse 10, he talks about, he says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Even the grave won't prevent you from displaying your goodness to me. At the beginning of verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. I have a future. I know where to walk. God's goodness in my life. At the end of verse 11, the joy and the pleasure that will be forevermore. God's goodness in my life. Over and over and over again, the psalmist just talks about God's goodness, God's goodness, God's goodness, God's goodness in every area of his life. And he is sure of that. And he believes fully in the goodness of God. 
He doesn't believe in just circumstances that have sort of worked out for me. Things have gone okay. No, he believes that everything is from God. He believes, as James would say, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He believes what the psalmist would say just a few chapters later in 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Notice, yes, he is looking forward, but he's even describing here, this psalm says that he is going to see the goodness of God right now in the land of the living. He's going to see God's goodness on full display where he is. So often we look for good in lesser things. Again, those things that we submit our lives to. The psalmist believed in the Lord's goodness. And he believed that everything came from the Lord. That is why he would say, I have no good apart from you. There is nothing that is good in my life that isn't a result of you. The psalmist believed in the Lord's goodness. The psalmist also trusts the Lord with everything. If we're gonna grow in submission to the Lordship of Jesus, we have to trust or believe in the Lord's goodness and we have to trust the Lord with everything. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. It's the Lord that he desires. He is saying to himself, it's almost like he's coaching himself up here, the Lord is enough. The Lord is all I need. He is my lot. And he trusts him with everything. Because of that, he says, I take refuge later in you. I take refuge in the Lord. He is the one who gives me counsel. Because of that, I shall not be shaken. The psalmist trusts the Lord with everything. I don't want to trust in anything but the Lord. I don't trust in money. I don't trust in positions. I don't trust in authority. I don't trust in success or unsuccess or whatever things the world might say about me. I don't trust in politics. I don't trust in my family. I don't put my trust in those things. I trust in the Lord alone. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. We don't trust in these lesser things. The psalmist trusts the Lord with everything. And if we trust the Lord with everything, if that's the true declaration of our hearts, if that's what we have anchored our hope to in trusting the Lord with everything, then we will seek his counsel. We will desire to know him and to grow in submission to him. When we trust the Lord, we rely on him. I tell you, one of the greatest feelings that I can have as a dad is the opportunity to help my kids. Now, some of that's because There was a season in their life where, as one of them would say, I had the IQ of a goldfish, according to them. I didn't know anything. I couldn't help them. There was nothing that I knew about. I'd never lived life before. Everything was, they they were the only ones that had any wisdom in the world. Parents of sophomores, let me just encourage you, it will get better. The Lord will redeem. But every now and again, nowadays, they'll call me. And when they call me and they ask for my help, I feel good and it's encouraging because it tells me that they trust me, that they trust and have confidence that I might have some wisdom to offer them, that they would seek my counsel. You see, when we trust in the Lord, we will seek his counsel. We will desire his ways. 
So often we find ourselves, it looks as if we don't do that. We trust only in ourselves. But if we really trust the Lord, we would seek him. This is why we put on the front cover of the Bible reading plans that you can have if you didn't grab one last week that are available as you make your way out of the sanctuary to my left here. The first, on the cover of that little book is Psalm 1, the first few verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That word law, you can just transpose to be his word. He meditates on his word day and night. He, this person who does this, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Contrasted to the wicked, those who are far from God are not so, but are like a chaff that the wind will drive away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the seat of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When we trust the Lord, we will seek his counsel. We will be those people whose delight is in the word of God, the law of the Lord. We anchor our lives to that. We desire to know him. We study this book. Tomorrow or two days from now, I'm ahead of myself. On Tuesday morning, there'll be a group of men in that other room. There'll be plenty of room for you. But there'll be a group of men at 6 a.m. opening God's word. Men, wake up early. I know it's tough. I do, I, I, I do not like getting out of bed. I just confess that. But get up early with us and study the word. Ladies, your Bible studies will start on Tuesday evening and then flow over into Wednesday morning. Y'all just stay through the night. Ladies are a lot more righteous than us guys, y'all. <laughs> now, there is a break there for you to go to bed. But if you're a Tuesday evening lady or a Wednesday morning, that'll all be kicking off. We study God's word. When we talk about it in a moment, I'm going to talk a little bit just briefly about our small group discipleship, which we call fight clubs. And the, the, the whole idea of the fight club is that we would start in God's word, that we would gather just a few people, three or four gathered around a table or a living room or wherever and opening God's word. We would pray. We would seek the Lord. We would just, and our desire to see the power of God in our lives, we would seek him through prayer. God has given us the blessing and the gift of prayer. And we would be people who pray. I can tell you, church family, this isn't legalism. This isn't to oppress anybody or put anybody down. But if you would just look at the campus right now and the volume of people that are here in this hour and add that to the volume of people that were here in the previous hour and those who will come back this evening at five o'clock to pray will fit within the first three rows of these two sections. I can just tell you as a pastor, that breaks my heart. We need to be a people who pray and seek the Lord. Once a month, we come together to pray for one another and to pray for our community, and to ask God for his help to navigate the amazing gift that he has given us to be a church of God's people sent to this city to proclaim his goodness for the glory of God, for the good of the city, and the hope of the world. We need his help, and that's why we pray. He is the one whose way is always set before us. His word, the psalmist says, look at this in verse seven, gives him counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Did any of you have trouble falling asleep at night? My mind races at night. Let me just encourage you with this. 
The psalmist says that his way is always before him. He seeks the counsel of the Lord even as he's falling asleep at night. I know some of you might think, man, that seems a little sacrilegious. And you may even feel bad about yourself. You may have oppressed yourself before saying, well, I try to pray as I'm going to bed and then I just sort of doze off to sleep. Do you know one of the greatest joys of my life was when those little boys would crawl up in my lap and they would fall asleep because they trusted me as their daddy? They rested peacefully in my arms when they were little. Crawl up in your heavenly father's lap as you lay your head to sleep. Seek his counsel. Lay down your burdens before him and go to sleep knowing the God of the universe never does. The psalmist trusted the Lord with everything. That's why he would submit his life to him. Let us be a people who do that as well. Finally, the psalmist was confident in his future. We will grow in submission to the lordship of Christ in our lives when we have a complete confidence in our future. Once again, verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. As he closes, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. The psalmist is confident of the future that the Lord has for him. He is not confident that every circumstance and everything will go right and perfect in his life. He is confident in the future that God has for him. He is confident in the inheritance and the promises of God that are real. 2 Corinthians, Paul, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel and he's talking about his specific ministry where he has challenges that he faces and the trials that he comes up against and there's so many things that have opposed him. And he says in verse 10, he says that he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Here's how most of us think of life. Today I'm sorrowful, and if a few circumstances change, then I'll be rejoicing tomorrow. And then some things are probably going to go bad in a couple days, and then I'll be back to over here being sorrowful. And then things will kind of fix or get corrected, and then I'll get to be rejoicing again. And we bounce back and forth and back and forth. But look at those words, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The rejoicing sits on top of the sorrow. Paul's word and God's word to us and the psalmist is not saying that everything in his life is perfect. He's not saying that everything is going right. He's not saying that he's not grieving, that he's not hurting, that there are real challenges and pains that he is dealing with. He's saying that those things are true, but because of the promises of God that I have full confidence in, that I know are true, I will rejoice and always rejoice. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We are the people, as we grow in submission to Christ and he becomes bigger in our lives, we can be people like that who are sorrowful and grieve and, and, and do not like all of the brokenness that this world demonstrates for us and that we see on display, and yet people who are always rejoicing because of the future, because of the hope that we have, because we trust, once again, Jesus to do what he said he would do which we read about in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw, this is John testifying to what he saw Jesus show him. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus said, you could just say, Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. This is our future, brothers and sisters in Christ, that Jesus will one day make all things new. That's the hope that we have. And so as we endure in this suffering, yes, if you want to clap, praise the Lord. That is the things that we anchor our hope to. That future is ours. It's not something that we're waiting on. It's ours today. When Jesus began his ministry in Mark 1.15, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand now. That's why the psalmist earlier, as I referenced, said, I, want to ex- I experienced the goodness of God in the land of the living. We see this now. He's even making things new now. We here in this church, if you're a guest with us, regularly we get to hear stories of God making all things new now. But we also know that there is a future where there will no longer be any sorrow. And our future, and we have confidence in that. So if like the psalmist we can say that we are looking forward Believing wholly and fully in the Lord's goodness, trusting the Lord with everything that we have, all of our lives, and we have a confidence in this future that is ours. If we believed all of this, then growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ would simply be an overflow. It wouldn't be something we have to ask God for help to do. It wouldn't be something that as pastors we are trying to sort of put on the church family as a people to draw you into that. If we were doing that collectively, this body of believers called City Church would be growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace and his kindness, we see that happening. Growing in submission to the Lord often looks like making sure that parking lot doesn't resemble a rally car race as y'all leave here this afternoon. Praise God for those men that help in the parking team. Rocking babies in little so moms and dads can be in this room and other moms and dads can be uninterrupted and have peace. That's what sometimes it looks like. We have people every week that are taking care of children that are not their own, that don't even have babies anymore. Opening up your home through our Disciple Now weekend to those 10th grade boys. Yes, pray for them this week. Giving, not just when there's a little extra, but giving, giving sacrificially out of a heart of generosity to the ministry of this church so one day we might have room for everybody that the Lord is bringing to us. All of these things we see happening, God is doing, and we rejoice in that, and we want to see that continue this year. Let me give you just four things as we close this morning that you could do today, four steps that you might be able to take, and I don't know where all of you are on your journey But here's four steps of submission that you might take today. The first is to repent and believe. I've got to trust that some of you in this room do not know the Jesus that I know. When I talk about my love for Christ and my submission to him as Lord, 
That sounds a little foreign, and let me just tell you, that's perfectly okay. You're in the right place. The Lord brought you here, and as I said at the beginning, thank you for your faith to step into a place that seems a little foreign, a little weird, and definitely overcrowded to trust us with your lives. Let me just invite you to know this Jesus that I know, the Jesus that died for me. And the reason he had to die for me was because God would be just to have condemned me. My sinfulness, all of our sinfulness, would make us God right to just say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But in the Lord's kindness, he sent his son to lay down his life for me so that his wrath could be poured out on Jesus instead of on me. This is why I worship Jesus with my life. And I would invite you to trust this morning in that Jesus. Our elders are going to be down front here in this room. Those of you that are in the cafe, our Pastor Kyle will be right around the corner from you and a few of our elders will be in that room. We would love nothing more than to just have a conversation with you and help you to understand what it means to follow Jesus with your life, to give your life to Jesus. Second, maybe you're already a believer. Let me just encourage you to testify to that and share your story. Coming up in just a few weeks, we're gonna have our next Baptism Sunday. It's gonna be on February 12th. Football fans in the room know what that day is. It's gonna be a bigger day here at City Church, all right? So we're gonna have Baptism Sunday where people are gonna share their stories that they have put their faith in Jesus. They have put their hope in Christ. And so I wanna encourage you, if you've never been baptized and you're a believer, let February 12th be the day that you say, I'm gonna share my story. Maybe you've already been baptized. If you have a story of just God's work in your life, this week I read one of our brothers in this congregation shared the story of of some things that he has just seen God do and it was so encouraging to my soul and I know the souls of everyone who read it. Share that story. Tell a friend today, grab a neighbor, grab a coworker, grab your family members, or if you want to share your story, come up, and I'll, we'll figure out a way to record it and broadcast it any way we can. Testify to the work of God so that others might be encouraged through your story. Third, join him where he's working. I referenced at the beginning of this service, we see God so clearly at work in this church. We are not a perfect church. I am one of the pastors, therefore we are exempt from ever being called that, all right? But God is clearly moving in this place. There is clear evidence, not just because there's a lot of people here, but because we see and we know those stories that I just talked about. Every time we have a baptism service, every time we talk about those stories, we hear people talking about God doing great work in their life. Our marriage ministry on Monday nights, tomorrow I think, is re-engage kicking off tomorrow, maybe in the next Monday. Don't quote me on that. Somebody find that out. But we're going to start the 23rd. All right, thank you, Matt. Uh, we're going to have re-engage. It'll be a Monday night. It's our marriage ministry. We have story after story of marriages that have been transformed. We see God moving here. So some of those things that I just shared about working in the parking lot or serving in student ministry or you know, helping with babies or kids, whatever it might be, being an usher, helping us find more chairs, knocking down walls or whatever we have to do, I don't know. Join with us. Come and be a part of that. Here in just a few weeks, we'll have our City Church 101 and 201. Those are classes that we offer that say, if you want to become a member of this church and partner with us in ministry, you can do that. So just keep an ear out. I don't do dates real great, so that's why we have another team that helps me with that. But 101 and 201 are coming in this month, um, and you can join with us. Finally, make disciples. That's what all of this is. That's all we're here to do to lead people in knowing Jesus and growing in submission to him. So if you're not in a fight club, if you don't know what that means to get together with a few other believers and study God's word together, just again, come talk with me. We'd love to help you do that. If you are in a fight club, 
Let me give you this challenge. Look around the room every time you're here at City Church and find somebody that looks just, their eyes are just a little bit bigger. They're kind of like, what's going on here? That's someone who's new in our family. And we love you that you're here and that you would trust. And just say, hey, I need you to come. We're gonna meet on Tuesday morning. We're gonna study the Bible. And then if they say that to you, you just say yes. All right, don't, you don't, don't, there's not a like, well, I don't know, maybe, nope, you just say yes, all right? You're gonna be here at 6 a.m., you're gonna study the Bible with us. Or on Tuesday night or whenever that might be. Let us be people that are making disciples and take it seriously, that responsibility that God has entrusted to us. And those are just four things, four things that we could do together. Take a step today. We're gonna close our time together singing a great song. And the song asks the question, Who is worthy? Is Jesus worthy of our lives? And the worship team's gonna begin to lead us in that. Let me just encourage you with this. Don't let these words just be things that you say. But use this time, this holy time, this time that has been set apart by God before he created the world where he saw you in this place. Use this time and ask in the depth of your soul, Does my heart declare that Jesus is worthy? Is that true of me? And if not, confess that to him and ask him for help to know and believe that. Ask him to lead you. Let your prayer be, Lord, help me to believe that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Help me to believe that you are my lot. Help me to believe that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Help me to believe that I have a beautiful inheritance. Let's stand and respond to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.